Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta injury lawyers. Go to jameshbrown.com. Cornelius looks left, pumps once, now pumps again downfield. He's got an open man. It is complete, and Dylan Mitchell is on his horse, and he'll walk the dog to the end zone. Touchdown, Elks. Dylan Mitchell into the end zone. He had a big game here last year, which included 100 yards and a touchdown. He's got a TD here this year, and the Elks are back into it in the third quarter. Well, uh, that was as close as the Elks got as they hit a rare big play against the Bombers. At that point, Winnipeg led Edmonton 16-14 with about six minutes left in the third quarter. The Elks would not score again. Winnipeg wins it 28-14, and the Elks are 0-7. We continue to talk a lot about the quarterback, Taylor Cornelius. Here's what head coach Chris Jones said after the game. You know, he played, you know, a decent football game. There were some errant throws, certainly, and uh, we had a couple of drops. I know Swerve had a drop there, and, and um, you know, and then and then the throw down in the red zone, uh, you know, we've got points there. And uh, and the one we took a sack later on in the in the half where we were in field goal range. And, and those two things, we've got to learn to try to survive those downs, like instead of trying to force it just, you know, uh, we're, you know, for the 15-yard line, just eat it and and uh, kick the field goal so we the the points if we can get those points early and uh, get off to a good start then then we're usually tougher uh well the elks uh well they've started a few games well defensively and like i was saying they've been tied at the half three times another time at halftime they were down by a point another time they were down four points so they are close uh but they're not winning and they're, they're usually not close in the second half as we welcome Blake Dermott to the show Blake uh, fresh off the golf course by the way how'd you do today should we should I ask <laughs> I, I was right in my wheelhouse I'm a, I'm a you know low to mid 90s golfer and I was uh, shot at 94 you know that's what I my my son though uh uh, shot the round of his life, shot an 81. He oh. was, uh, it was a, a spectacular. I think he's only been in the in the 80s a couple of times, but he was, uh, yeah. And, and he lost three balls. Like that's how good what? he was. He was certainly shot a shot, uh, you know, in the 70s. But uh, that's amazing. Yeah, he was unconscious. Uh, we were looking for lightning bolt strikes. Uh, you know, uh, we thought that uh, keep your club down. Yeah. <laughs> Even with his son, you know, we thought that there might be a chance he could hit by lightning. Well, so. good for him. I, like, I've had, I haven't had very good, many good rounds myself, but I've enjoyed seeing some buddies have really good rounds. Uh, I have a, f- a friend who's uh, quite a good athlete. He actually played for the uh, Edmonton Huskies back in the late 90s. He was the quarterback, and he's a really good athlete. And a few years ago, uh, I played around with him, and he shot 74. And wow. uh, me and my buddies, I can't remember who had what, but we were 102, 103, and 104. Like, we were just, the back nine, we were just watching him and trying and, to and stay, out of, stay out of the way. Who was that quarterback? Dan Omond is his name. 
Ah, okay. I don't, I don't know him. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a yeah. heck of a score. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Have you ever had a hole-in-one? Because we were talking about aces earlier on the show. No, I, I've never had one. The closest I came to a hole-in-one was uh, probably about six inches on probably one of the worst shots, and that's typical, I think, for some people. I sculled the ball on a, a hole at, uh, at Legends, and uh, it barely, it almost went in the water, but it didn't. It just sort of missed the water and it rolled up on the green to like six inches from the cup, and it was the worst shot that I hit all day, but it was almost a hole-in-one. So. <laughs> okay. We had a young lady on the show about an hour ago who last Wednesday, Day at River Ridge had two aces in the same round. Number, oh, wow. Number five and number eight. I mean, I think I would just quit golfing if I ever did that. You can't, you'll, you'll never top that. Wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, football. So um, I think here's the thing. If, if When the schedule came out, I would have identified last night's game as a likely loss, regardless of how good the Elks were or were not. Uh, but they're not good. Chris Jones said Cornelius played decent. He pointed out some mistakes that he made. I, again, Blake, you know I'm, I'm frustrated with Corny. Uh, if you take out that deep shot to Dylan Mitchell... He was 16 for 28 for 140 yards. They don't get a lot of yards per attempt or per completion. Where are you at uh, with Cornelius? Well, I'm, uh, I'm I'm as frustrated as as um, you know every other fan of, of the, the game is. Um, but I also um, you know I look back at the type of plays that uh, are called for him. And and I was I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. Uh, the uh, um, coach McAdoo is the offensive coordinator, and uh, Coach McAdoo is is somebody that uh, uh, has a has a philosophy that is a is a really good philosophy on offense. It's it's it is a ball control type of an offense. It's an offense that is five yard chunks. And, and decisions to throw go downfield are left to the quarterback. So obviously some of those are being missed. And the decision to throw to Bill Mitchell was something that was read. But but it is a ball control type of offense. If you have the ball in your hands more than your opponent, then you're likely uh, the likelihood of you winning is considerably better. And I remember when uh, when Mike Riley uh, um, first came to Edmonton, there was uh, by his second season uh, a level of fr- frustration because. Um, you know, they weren't taking shots downfield. And then uh, then things changed, and that started to become an aggressive type of an offense. And they, Mike Riley, and look at the success Mike Riley had in his career. Um, and a lot of that started here in Edmonton. Uh, but I see the lateral side to side, the five yard ho- uh, hitch, the, you know, the uh, uh, um, high, percentage comp- uh, high percentage throws and completions. And the trouble is, is that an offense has to. You know, can't make a mistake. You're getting five yards and hope your receivers can break a ball, uh, break a play, and 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 get some yak yards. Um, and uh, you know, when you're when you're a team that uh, you know needs to needs a win, needs a needs a spark, that kind of offense is probably, you know, it's like Novocaine. It can put you to sleep, um, but but it makes you have to not make mistakes. And uh, obviously, um, you know, with, with with the young quarterback. Teams are seeing that, and they're sending pressure at certain times. You know, and you know, I, I saw Coach Jones talked about taking a sack at that one point. Well, um, just because a quarterback gets sacked doesn't always mean that there's a breakdown in the offensive line or the blocking scheme. It, it means usually, generally, that they've sent more guys than you can block. 
And uh, when, when you identify those situations, you have to get rid of the ball, whether it's throwing it into the dirt, doing something to avoid losing yardage and taking you out of field goal position. So from that standpoint, I think there's a combination of things. I think there's, I think that there's, this is a, a little bit of, and this is one of the knocks about Matthew's offense over the, the time that he's been in the CFL, and he has been for a while, and he has been an offense coordinator when they won a great cup, so i got to cut him some slack. But his, his philosophy is sound, but it is, is sometimes it can handcuff an offense. And, uh, and then uh, there's, there's a, large, a large percentage of some of those things that are on the, the shoulders of the quarterback and should always be because he's a guy that ultimately has to make the decisions and pull the trigger. And I know that there has been times they hang on to the ball. So I have a frustration with you know, how the plays are being called and what kinds of plays are being called. And then I have a frustration with the level of play that the quarterback has. Uh, has been showing. But then when you look at the fact that uh, there was a number of times where he got hit last night, they gave up three sacks again, and there, I don't know how many times you saw an offensive lineman slide into air and a guy coming running free. And uh, like Willie Jefferson did uh, in the two of the last three plays, I think, that he played in the game. And uh, so so there is some communication issues with that offense. There's uh, there's uh, a number of things. There's decision-making by your quarterback and uh, play calling by the uh, offense coordinator that, that all contribute to, uh, you know, uh, throwing a receiver, dropping a ball every game. There's at least one, possibly two receivers dropping the ball. This is a dif- dysfunctional offense right now. And uh, there is not one thing. You can't just come in and say, get rid of this guy, and it's going to fix itself. There's an awful lot of, we've got to look in the mirror and we got to fix this stuff. we got to fix this as a group. And, and uh that's what's got to happen because you're just not going to you're not going to make one one change and it's going to be all of a sudden better. Blake, I think that's a really good summary. I, I, I think you touched on some concerns that I have had as well and, and elaborated on them, which was really good. And you know, I look at special teams. We got frustration with the field goal kicker. Does he let him try enough field goals? You know, we talked about that earlier in the season. That I I still. You know, I, I, I defended the defense after the first two games. Obviously, I wavered a little bit after the losses to Toronto and, and Ottawa. But I, I think in five of the seven games, uh, the defense has played well enough to win. I, I, again, like here are the points that the Elks have given up in the first half of every game. 10-9, 18-16, 3-10-6. So in five of their seven games, they have allowed 10 points or fewer in the first half of the game, but they've never had the lead at halftime. But, like, yeah. I think this defense is just getting worn out once you get into the late in the third and through the fourth. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. When you look at the time of possession, it was almost eight minutes longer for Winnipeg. So that means that your defense is now on the field eight minutes longer. And uh, and the amount of plays that uh, I think it was 47 offensive plays by the Elks and 56 or 57 by, by uh, um by Winnipeg, and the uh, and, and keep in mind that you know defensive players, because of their tackling ability, because their ability to you know the athletic ability that these guys have, are 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 generally on most special teams. So not only are you on the field an awful lot and and trying to react and trying to you know uh, uh, do your job and keep the other team from scoring, you are on most special teams, and and so yeah, you're going to get tired. You're going to get more tired than an offensive guy is. And uh, and I think that that's uh, um, that's been a real challenge. But you're right; there you cannot point the fingers at the, the fellows that are on the defense, with the exception of possibly one game. 
but uh, uh, the game against uh, BC. But even in game in BC, they only allowed 22 points. Yep. So uh, it's 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 one of those situations where they've got some very good players, very good athletes, good coaching, good all of those kinds of things. But you can't ask them to do everything. They can't go out there and score the touchdowns too. And, and well, maybe they got to ask them to do that because the offense certainly isn't putting the ball in the end zone. Yeah, and, and and I was talking about it earlier. I mean that the game and, and look, I, we we know Winnipeg's good. We know the Elks aren't uh, are far from perfect. But halfway through the second quarter, the turnover differential was plus two for Edmonton, and it was six three Winnipeg. You know, and three turnovers by Winnipeg, one by the Elks, and and the Elks got three points, and Winnipeg's got six. I mean, you can't you can't be winning the turnover battle and be chasing the game to use a term. Brownie and I use it hockey. Like you got to, yeah. you got to make the other team pay for those mistakes. Well, and, and that's been the anomaly of this season, more so than last season or the other the seasons before that, is that the Elks have won specific uh, metrics uh, and dominated certain metrics during courses of games and, and even through through the course of a game that tell you that if you win these metrics, you win the game and 80% of the time. And they've dominated those metrics and still can find ways to lose games. And and that's, you know, believe me, if, if, if we are frustrated as fans or as media or as, you know, um, um, you know, I guess fans in general, people that go to the games, you can't even come close to the level of frustration that is going on in that locker room in there. It is like... Um, um, uh, I, I can't. I've never been on a team where you had such such moments of games where you've dominated games, and regardless of what you do, you you find yourself in a losing end at the end of the game, and and that is that's got to be so disheartening. And uh, um, I, I feel for the guys in the locker room. Well, yeah, and uh, I, again, the question I've been asking the last few weeks is is where does the win come, right? And <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I guess I, I know I got some messages, uh, you know, last night and, and a couple emails throughout the day, and a couple people were positive, saying, "Hey, you know what? They they look better." Uh, one guy wrote in and said, "Well, Jones said Cornelius is improving, but he's gone from terrible to awful." And I know there's a little bit of dark humor there, but uh, yeah, it's just it's it's just they just can't figure they can't figure it out right it's it's just frustrating uh at this point and like and like i said i mean after that mitchell touchdown you're down two with about 20 minutes left in the game that's you know that's a winnable game but they didn't do much after that so you know i uh you were asking when the wins are going to come and i i i wish i had a crystal ball i don't know if if uh we can i can say with any kind of confidence that it will but uh i i just remember there was a, a a guy on the wall of honor for the Edmonton uh, the franchise, his name is uh, Roly Miles, and I played with his son Roly Miles Jr. in college. And in our fourth year, we had gone from being in the Bandy Cup two years in a row, and it was a rebuilding year in our last year, and we only won one game that year. And somebody out, and we were down like I think we lost four games in a row in an eight-game season that you're pretty much out. And uh, I remember Roly's comment, you know, because you know, when are you guys going to win? What's going to? And he says, Well, you know. You know, a couple of plane crashes, we could be right in this thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Speaking of dark humor, jeez. Yeah. So, um, well. who, know, uh, who knows? Who uh, knows? And and I think that, 
at, at some point. And, and again, I, I, I wish we weren't even talking about this. I, cause I stood on a soapbox at the beginning of the season and said, this is going to be a much better team than it was last year. And uh, last year they only won four games. And I'm starting to look at that uh, comment saying, you, you know, just similar to what you're saying, where are they going to get wins that are going to put them better than where they were last year? Cause I, I just, you know, I, I see progression, but then in the same game, I see like unbelievable regression. I see how do you continue to make mistakes? As Coach Jones said, you know, you're in a field goal situation and you take a sack. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. How do you let that happen? Um, you, you should know that if, if I don't have a read in one second when they're blitzing, I'm throwing the ball in the dirt someplace. And you should have that in your mindset right now. And uh, yet, they uh, that seems some, something like that seems to happen, game in and game out. Blake, thanks for checking in, man. Uh, have a great night. We'll talk next week. Okay, Reed. Thanks a lot. Uh, talk to you soon. Blake Dermott off the golf course, uh, breaking down the uh, Elks' seventh loss of the season here on Inside Sports. <laughs> Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. Ten minutes left in the fourth quarter, Friday Night Football, Toronto leading Hamilton 23-9. Scoreboard update presented by Cougar Paint and Collision, our family helping your family for 40 years. The World Pro Beach Volleyball Tour in Edmonton. This weekend, the uh, event is underway in the Fan Plaza in Ice District. I talked to uh, Canadian player Jake McNeil. Love Edmonton. I've been quite a few times. We played our indoor junior nationals here at the U of A uh, facility, which was pretty cool. So I did my 18U nationals here. And then in 2019, we played here as well for the FIVB that was uh, here. And we ended up qualifying and making it into the main draw. And it was a pretty cool experience. So, yeah, I had uh, nothing but good things uh, in Edmonton so far. All right. Uh, so you're, you're playing. I'm just curious. Like here you're playing on a fabricated beach I guess for lack of a better word next to the hockey rink so how often are you playing in that situation how often are you playing on like an actual real beach Honestly, it, or surprisingly enough, it's about 50-50. Yeah. So uh, we've played in parking lots, malls, uh, all the way to beautiful uh, beaches right on the ocean. So it's not that uncommon. I, we're actually really excited about the venue. It's right downtown, and there's a lot of cool people. We're hoping to get a lot of foot traffic and hopefully get a lot of people out to cheer on our uh, Canadian volleyball players. What's the biggest misconception people still have about beach volleyball where you're like, come on, quit saying that? Ooh, that's a good question. I think, I don't know about misconception, but I would tell people to go out and just try and walk in the sand, and then you get a bit more appreciation for what all these incredible athletes are able to do. Because if you know just walking around on the sand, it can be pretty tiring and pretty tough sometimes. So I would say, I don't know about misconception, but uh, it, it takes a lot of athleticism to kind of do what, what we're doing to out there. So to it, run yeah. and jump in it, exactly. All right. yeah. Now, we were just talking before we started recording here. Uh, you were playing high-level hockey before you sort of transitioned to volleyball. Tell yep. me a little bit about that. Yeah, I actually, funnily enough, played against Connor McDavid uh, growing up, so I know that's a huge uh, name around here. So uh, I played a lot of high-level uh, hockey growing up, and I think it kind of helped me in, with my beach volleyball. And my sister was a really good uh, volleyball player, and that's kind of actually how, weirdly enough, I got into it. I was just sitting on the sidelines watching a beach volleyball tournament, and I was like, I, I, can, I can do this. I'm 
might as well get out there. And, and I, I fell in love with it instantly. As soon as I stepped on the sand, got the sand between my toes, played in front of in front of all the fans and, and all the amazing people, I just absolutely fell in love. And uh, my dad, you know, still maybe a little bit upset about it, but here here we are. <laughs> well, you're obviously doing pretty well. Tell me a little bit about the, the world. The world like, you guys are traveling a lot, right? Is it almost every weekend a different city? Yeah, so we spent a ton of time. We traveled all over the place, played in Mexico, Brazil, all the way across to Asia, New Zealand. So the the tour kind of is in Canada right now, which is really cool, but the whole kind of tour moves around. Uh, so there's kind of a stretch in Europe, a stretch in uh, South America, um, Asia. So it kind of moves all around, and it's kind of similar to the tennis scene where there's kind of different levels of tournaments and you kind of are accumulating points as you go along trying to qualify for the Olympics. Okay, now are, are, so are you still based in Toronto and how often are you actually home? So my, yeah, my house is in Toronto, the whole kind of national team training centers based in Toronto, so uh, a lot of the guys that you'll see from here live and train in Toronto, not all of them, but uh, most of them, and I'm... I'm home, you know, sporadically here and there, you know, put, put my toothbrush down for, for a week or two, but it is a lot of time spent on the road. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, great to get to know you a little bit. Enjoy Edmonton. All the best. Thank you so much.